once again today to 1 John 3, 1 John chapter 3. Last week we saw 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. This week we're going to uh, move right along to the next couple of verses. And uh, I was looking at going all the way down to verse number 11, and we're not quite going to make it that far. We're just going to cover two verses today, uh, verses 2 and 3. And so 1 John chapter 3 And beginning in verse number 2, as you find your place, if you'll stand with me there as uh, we read the scripture this morning, if you're able. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Father, we love you. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. Pray that you'll speak to our hearts today and pray that you'll just really work in a uh, special way. Challenge us where we need challenge, encourage where we need encouragement. I pray that you'll apply the message to each heart exactly as it needs to be. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're only covering two verses, so I'm going to try to have enough to fill the time today. That's usually the problem that I have. And uh, so we'll see if we can survive long enough to get through a whole uh, time period here. Um, I've seen these guys, they preach these 20-minute messages. And I've, I've sat and heard evangelists say, you know, I preached really long tonight. I preached 25 minutes. And I thought, how in the world do they do that? And one of these days, I'm going to figure it out, but I haven't yet. First uh, John chapter 3, last week we saw that there are three ways in which a person can become a part of a family. And uh, we said that there are, uh, in those three, they apply in different areas, different ways. We saw the law of love was the third one, and that is by being married into a family. And the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ, and uh, we, we saw that a little bit last week. But the other two really deal with the relationship of a father or a parent to a child. And uh, those would be the principles of life, being born into a family. And thus the Bible tells us that we are born into the family of God in the moment that we're saved. And then, of course, we saw uh, the principle of law, that we can be adopted into a family. And the Bible deals with that. And so uh, in all of those elements and ways, and specifically those two as we move on into these next verses, that deal with the relationship of a parent to a child, God makes it clear not only are we in the family, but we are fully in the family. We're in the family in every way that is possible to be in the family. There's nothing in which we don't belong, in which we don't have inheritance. In every way, we are fully and completely in the family. What a blessing, amen? And what a blessing to know that. And we uh, saw last week, and I said as we come into chapter 3, if you remember chapter 2 gave us, we're in the family, but there's some challenges. And there's some things that will distract us, some without and some within, and some things that will try to draw us away uh, from our Father. But as we come into chapter 3, he's telling us, there are in uh, the family, there are some blessings. Last week we saw the blessing of belonging, the blessing of having a place that we fit, the blessing of having a place uh, where we belong in the family. Today we're going to see the blessing of transformation. 
that we don't have to be what we've always been, that we don't stay the way that we always were, that we are no longer what we used to be. Praise God, when we are placed in the family of Christ by birth and by adoption, when we become the children of God, that we are no longer the children of the devil, we are no longer what we used to be, but we are now made new, that we are now uh, in his family, and everything has changed, and there's a transformation that takes place. What a blessing, the blessing of transformation. We see that really right at the beginning. Beloved, now are we the sons of God? What a truth and what a reality. This morning, do you know that you are indeed a child of God? Have you got that settled? Do you know that you've been saved? And then secondly, has your life been changed by God? You say, well, pastor, I know I'm saved, but, you know, really, I've kind of gotten to the place where uh, I'm not living a life that would be considered transformed at the moment. I've kind of let some of those things go. Maybe there was even a time in the past where uh, I was different, and now I've gotten to where I'm living more and more uh, like this world and the things of this world, and I've let my focus get sidetracked a little bit. Or maybe it's I've gotten saved, and, and honestly, I've just never really changed a lot. And I know I made the decision, but I've never really changed much. And this passage deals with some of that between this week and next week. H.A. Ironside tells the story of an artist. He said that this artist had in mind a beautiful painting. It was a true story. He said this artist, with this beautiful painting in mind, he began to uh, uh, assimilate all that he would need. And one of those things was a very large canvas. For an artist, he had a large studio, and he took the canvas and he spread it all the way across one wall, and it was all the way up uh, very high. He got out scaffolding and placed it so that he would very easily be able to reach all the different parts of his canvas. And then he went and he got out all of his uh, paint brushes, and for this painting, he was not using the typical artist type of brushes, but he was using large paint brushes. They said that it looked almost more like a house painting uh, than it would be an, a typical artist with a uh, little... Uh, canvas on an easel and and he had out his big paint brushes his buckets of paint he had out uh, his easel and his scaffolding and everything was prepared and ready and the artist began to go to work and he would walk to this side of the painting and up a little ways and he'd put a dab of blue and he'd come over to this side somewhere and he'd put a dab of green and he'd come down here and he'd put some black down here and, and before long he had uh, spent days just putting dabs of this color and, and specks of that color and all the different elements of what would make the background and in large places he would paint with big sweeping motions again almost like he's painting a house and, and, and it just uh, began in his mind as it was taking form and that which was in his mind began to come out onto that canvas. Finally, he had that background nearly done and, and he climbed down off of the scaffolding one day and he stepped back and began to look at it and he stepped back a little further and, and there in the studio, he stepped back again and he ran into something. And he turned around quickly, there was a man standing there, a friend of his, he did not know had come in and he said, what are you doing here? And he said, I didn't know you came in, I didn't even hear you and, and he turned around and he said, but this is going to be my masterpiece. What do you think? Isn't it beautiful? And the man looked at it and he said, well, all I see are some daubs of blue and some dabs of black and it just looks like kind of a mess to me, to be honest with you. And the artist stood there for a second and looked at him and he said, I'm sorry, I forgot. You can see only what is here. I can see what it's going to be. 
And the reality of it is this, this is a passage, and there are several in Scripture, but this is a passage in Scripture where God allows us a glimpse of what he sees on the canvas of our life. Isn't it an amazing thing? He, as the great artist, looks at the life of an individual, and, and we know ourselves, and we look at our own lives and we say, Lord, there's this mess and Lord, I struggle in this area and Lord, I have this shortcoming. And, and, and sometimes we get frustrated and we say, but Lord, I don't match up here and I don't meet up there. And, and it just kind of looks like my life is, is a little bit of a mess. And maybe there's a strong area over here, but there's just as big of a glaring weakness over there. And, and there's all these things that just don't quite seem to come together into a beautiful picture. And yet he says, you're seeing only what's there. I'm seeing what I'm going to put there. I'm seeing what will be there in eternity. I'm seeing what will be there beyond the now because he knows that when we see him, we'll become just like him. And that's how he's chosen to already see us, that he sees us standing in the very righteousness of Christ himself and that we are clothed in his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is another of these passages. It says, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Lost my place, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Into the same image from glory to glory. You know this life, it's glory to glory. This life, it's this step to that step. This life, it's a slow transformation as we are slowly becoming more and more and more like our Savior. But he says, one day, you're going to see me. And when you see me, then instantly you're going to become just like me. We sang a few about being glorified. And, and that is that moment of glorification, that moment that we see our Savior face to face. And when we get there and when we see him and when we're in that place, that we'll be able to see him and recognize we have become just like him, not because of anything in our merit, but because of how wonderful and how magnificent our Savior truly is. And so he allows us here in this passage to see a glimpse of that, a glimpse of what we one day will be. And, and yes, we can become more like that today. And yes, transformation takes place in this life. But then that glorification takes place and transformation is finished. And we are fully transformed in that moment into being just as he is. I want you to examine with me just two significant steps here in this passage of living a life that has been changed by our God. First of all, I see the promise that is recognized. The promise that is recognized. Chapter 3, verse number 2, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We've mentioned that phrase already, but I see here, first of all, this is a promise for today. This is not a promise only for someday. This is a promise for today. And the reality is God looks and he says, now. It's not, well, I hope that someday I might be. Aren't you glad we don't live through this life as a believer thinking, well, someday I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to walk up to the pearly gates and when I get there and, uh, you know, the proverbial picture, it won't work that way, but Peter comes to the gate and then I'm pretty sure I'm going to be one of the children of God. Or then I'll find out positively, I mean, I've done everything I can and I've lived the best I can and I've done the most things that I can and I've been very religious and I've gone to church and surely I'm going to be allowed in. Aren't you glad instead we get to say, no, 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 it's not we hope that we will be. It's not that one day when we get there we'll find out if we were. Rather, it is now are we. 
There's confidence. There's an assurance. Uh, and we use the uh, verse, and we'll get to it here eventually in 1 John chapter 5. These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. Praise God we know that. Amen? But you know, it's not just that verse here in 1 John that John's saying you can know this. That this is an assured thing. This is a confident thing. Beloved, this is not something that starts someday in eternity. This is something that started the day that you received. Jesus is your Savior. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We're not hoping to show up and find it. We already know it. And so we see it's a promise for today. But then the rest of that verse tells us not only is it a promise for today, but it's also a promise for someday. It's a promise that is coming. And he says, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Now he's looking to that day. He's looking to that future. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Number one, we will see him. Hey, that means he will keep his word. Amen. Rome, uh, excuse me, John chapter 14. He said, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Aren't you glad we know he's going to keep his word? Oh, I look forward to that day of the rapture. I look forward to that day where he comes again to receive us unto himself so that where he is in heaven, that we can be there too. And, and honestly, there's a change, I guess, that probably takes place in life. And the longer that you're in this world, the more you look forward to that world and, and things of that nature. And there are probably some of us in the room would say, you know, I'm not quite ready for the rapture. I mean, I'm ready in one sense. I want to see my Savior, but... You know, I'd like to go through some things still in this world. There's some things I'd like to see. I'd like to see my children grow up, and at least right now I think I would. And uh, I'd like to see what they become. I'd like to see them grow up and serve God and have an opportunity to do that. And I would love to be able to see some of those things. And you might say, well, I'd like to see my grandchildren and what they're going to be. Or you might say, well, I'd like the opportunity to have children. Or maybe you're at that stage that I was for a long time. I'd just like to get married before the Lord comes back. And I really figured probably the night before I got married was the night the Lord would come. And uh, I kept thinking, it's probably going to happen. We're so close. And uh, praise the Lord, he tarried. And now we've been able to be married 13 years. And praise the Lord for that, a good 13 years. And uh, what a joy to be able to know uh, those, those things of this life that are a joy too. Amen. And praise the Lord for that. But while we have things that are here, the reality is none of those things is sweeter than what we look forward to there. And there's nothing here, even all of those elements that I would say, you know, I, I really would just rather be here. I look forward to the rapture. I think there's a good chance we may get to be in the rapture. I don't know that. It could be another thousand years, and that'd probably knock most of us out. But the reality of it is that it could be we get to see it. It could be we get to be there that day when he comes back for us and we get to see him as he is in the rapture. We know in death that that happens as well. And, and what a joy that is. I'm glad today that we know he will keep his word. I'm not worried about all the things that are taking place. I look at our nation right now and I have great concern for our nation. I have great concern for the direction of it. I have great concern for uh, the things that appear to be happening in our country. And, and I'm very concerned for our country in a right way. And, and I think we ought to have a grave concern. And we ought to care. And we ought to fast. And we ought to pray. And we ought to spend time uh, laboring on those things. It's of vital importance. But you know the reality is we don't have to be worried about it either. The reality is that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. And we can say, you know what, one day when he's ready, he's coming to get us. 
and we'll only be here as long as he allows. And if we are allowed to live here in relative ease, with relative freedom, praise the Lord. And if that relative ease is taken away and the freedom is removed, that's okay too. Because he's in perfect control and only what he allows will take place. And so we don't have to fear. And we don't have to worry about what the outcomes may be that we do not yet understand or know. But rather we can say, you know what, he's just going to keep his word. And when the moment is right, he's going to take us out. And it won't matter place. It won't matter uh, who the president of the United States is. It won't matter what the uh, relationships of the world governments are. It won't matter any of those things. They cannot hold back the moment when that trumpet sounds and we get to go. So that day is coming, and we know that day is coming. It's a joyful day. It's a promise. We're going to see him, either through death or through the rapture. We will see the Savior. He will keep his word. And then he tells us that he will glorify his children. Romans 8, 30. And whom he justified, just the end of the verse, them he also glorified. You know, I'm excited about that day, because on that day, not only is the rapture going to take place, But while the rapture is going to take place, and we praise God for that, and we look forward to that, there's something else that's really good, too. Whether I die or whether I go in the rapture, the reality is that day is coming that I'm going to get to be glorified. I'm going to get a whole new body. Isn't that going to be wonderful? I mean, have you ever wondered how that body works and and all the details about it? I've had people say, Pastor, uh, will we be able to fly in our new body? I don't know. I don't have any clue about that. I haven't found it yet. I don't know if we'll be able to fly or not, but it sure be fun. <laughs> what I wonder is, will I be able to eat everything and anything I want to and not worry about gaining weight? That would be a blessing, amen? I'm pretty sure that'll be there because we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it looks like we're going to be there feasting for a while. So I'm pretty sure we'll get that. Uh, but that's what I'm excited about. I look forward to that. Uh, but you know, more than any of those small details... <laughs> You know what's going to be great about that body that this body doesn't have? The eyes are going to be different. And we'll have eyes that can behold the very glory of our God. The Bible tells us that if we were to see his glory now with this body, we can't handle it. I mean, Moses' face shone for a long time because he saw the hindermost part. He didn't even get to see the radiance of the glory. And yet when we're there in heaven, in that heavenly city, that new Jerusalem, his glory is going to be the light of the whole thing. Be no, no, no more need for the sun or the moon. He himself will be the light of the city. Won't it be something when we get to behold him in all of his glory? When we get to see the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when we get to come to the very throne room of heaven, and we get to gaze upon the throne of our God, and because we have that glorified body and those eyes that, can, that are enabled to behold, that we can behold him face to face in a manner which we've never been able to before and which we could not with this body. That I do know about, that glorified body. Oh, I know it's going to be free of sin and I know it's going to be able to behold the Savior in that kind of a manner. What a joy, what a blessing to have that new body. Someday we're going to be glorified. Someday, as the song says, we're going to drop this robe of flesh and rise and no more sin nature. And no more battle and no more of the frustration of failing and moving from failure to failure. But rather, it'll all just be glory. It'll all just be service of the king. You know, really, that'll motivate us to live for that day. Amen? 
That ought to make us say, you know, I, I'm really not that concerned with today. I'm really not that concerned with this life. I'm really not concerned with what I amass here or what I get to do here or what the experiences are here because God will take care of all that. And by the way, God takes care of all the blessings that we would desire because when we seek first the kingdom of God, he adds all those things to us. He does bless us with all those things that we can worry about. Amen. And sometimes we think, oh, I'm giving up so much for the Lord. I've heard people stand and say, you know, I was, uh, had an opportunity to play professional sports and, and I gave that up for God. Well, they didn't give up anything for God. They gave up hitting a ball or they gave up putting a ball in a hoop. That's giving, no, no, no. He gave up the throne of heaven to come and be spat upon, slapped, and hung on a cross. And he gave up all of that for you and me. We don't give up anything to serve him. You know what we do? We get everything when we serve Him. All the blessings are ours. All the blessings are given from God. He's the one who gives. We're going to one day behold Him as He is. And you know, some of us are going to behold Him and we're going to say, and I don't know if anyone will fully say this, but at least in sections of our life, we're going to say, I'm sure glad I gave that in service to the King. Probably all of us will stand and have at least parts, if not more, that we're saying, I sure wish I'd have served more. I wish I'd have given more labor. I wish I would have been more intensive in that. Why? Because I'm beholding him as he is. When I see him in all of his glory, how could I not think I just wish I'd have given him a few more moments of service? I wish I could have just gained one more jewel for the crown that I now get to cast at his feet. I think probably all of us, at least I would guess all of us, can look back even now in this life over the years of the past and say, there's, there's a time I could have done a little more. There's a time I could have labored a little more intensively for the Savior. And, and I'm not saying that we need to look back because the Bible tells us that we need to go forward. Amen? I'm not saying we need to look back at every moment and dread every moment we didn't do everything. I'm just saying when we behold Him as He is, I don't think we're going to say... I wish I'd have spent a little more time on the things of that world. Rather, we're going to say, I'm sure glad I served him where I could. And if anything, I wish I'd have served him just a little bit more. I wish I'd have given just a little bit more. We're going to see him, and then we'll be like him as we see him. What a joy to be just like he is. I see here, first of all, there's a promise to be recognized. This promise is a motivating promise. This promise is a promise of eternity. This promise is a promise for someday, but it's also a promise for today. It affects us now and it affects us forever. But then I see not only is there a promise to recognize, but I see that this is a purifying relationship. Look at verse number three. He goes on. Now here's the motivating factor is verse two. Verse three then says, and every man that hath this hope in him, purifieth himself. It's a purifying relationship. The relationship with God is what drives, motivates, causes us to say that I want to live a life that is pure. Because one day I'm going to see him. When I see him, I'm going to give an account. When I give an account, I want to do it with joy. Because I don't want to get there and say, I should have. I want to get there and be able to say, I'm glad I did. I don't want to get there and hear, well, you know, you did get saved. You trusted my son. You can come in. And I'd like to get there and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I wonder if you were to 
die, if you were to go to heaven tonight, or if the Lord were to come in the rapture tonight, would you hear, based on your service in 2020 so far, would you hear the words of this year, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Would God say, you know, you've given in labor. None of us is perfect. None of us has everything all put together. But would you hear, you've served well. Or would you have to say, you know, I should have done a little more. I should have labored a little more intensively. And the reality is this, that uh, we all have a tendency sometimes to look forward to the glories of heaven, but it would be wise to stop on occasion and say, am I doing what I need to now to prepare for them? If we're going to prepare for retirement, we probably ought to prepare for eternity. Amen? Uh, Even as a Christian, looking forward. So it's a purifying relationship. I see, first of all, then, the motivation for purity. Here's what happens. We have this hope in us. What's this hope? You know, he does not tell us that it's because of the judgment seat. Now, other places it does. And we can certainly make the application. But here, he's not saying you're going to give an account of your life. You better straighten things up. Here it is. We have the hope in us, we're going to see him like he is, and when that hope is in us, that's the motivating factor. And so it's not just that there's a negative, I'm going to give an account, it's the positive, I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him just as he is. I'm going to see him in his glory and in his power. I'm going to see him in his purity and his perfection, so I want to be like him when I get there. So I'm going to purify myself like what he is, it tells us, even as he is pure, end of the verse. So the motivating factor is not what is is going to happen if I don't. It's not a sense of duty. It's not a sense of requirement. It's not a sense of I have to. Rather, it's this hope. This hope is the motivating factor. This hope, we know that the word hope in the Bible, it's not saying, well, I hope so. But it's that hope, it's that anticipation that the grandchildren have when they know grandma and grandpa are coming and, and they haven't seen them in a while and they're at the blinds pulling them apart, breaking them all to pieces, amen? And uh, staring out and waiting because they know any minute grandma and grandpa are pulling in and they see the car coming down the road and they burst out the door and they're screaming and they're, grandma, grandpa, I mean, they know they're coming. It's just a matter of what moment they're going to show up. They are hoping. It's an absolute anticipation and expectation that just hasn't been realized yet. And that's how we're waiting for our Savior. I'm hoping. Not, I hope so and it may not happen. No, 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 I know it's coming. It just hasn't been fully realized yet. That's how we're waiting. That's how we're supposed to be waiting. And he says, when this hope is in us, can I say to you, we can be saved without living with that hope in us all the time. We can still be saved. He's writing to save people. We can be saved and we can have the hope of eternity and we can have the hope of seeing Christ and all those things on on some level, but it's not that which is motivating our life and motivating the way that we live. So here he's talking about something deeper than just, well, yeah, I know I'm going to see Jesus someday. Yeah, I hope I get to uh, be there and see him. I hope I get a front row seat. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. No, it's not that. It's a motivating hope. And so he's saying to these believers, listen, when that's in you, it's going to motivate you. Now, we know there is duty to the Christian life, amen? But the reality is this. If all we are motivated by is fulfilling a duty, it's not going to carry us through life where we need to be. 
So we've got to come and say, my great motivation cannot only be a sense of duty. My great motivation needs to be that sense of hope, looking for, longing for, seeing my Savior face to face. And that's what, uh, what John is writing to these believers. That's what he's trying to get them to understand. It's not uh, a sense of duty, but the great motivation is love. The great motivation for purifying our lives, the great motivation for living a life that is uh, right before God, a life of holiness. And by the way, we've gotten away from the idea of holiness in large part in the United States of America in Christianity. Uh, We've moved a lot of the time away from that, almost like we're scared of it, but it's still in the book, amen? And the reality is we need to live a holy life, a purified life. Why? Because we love the one we're going to see. And so the purity, the, the, the holiness, it's because of who we're going to see and the, the love we have for the one we're going to see. It's not because I have to do these things. Now, we can put that sense in there in other passages, but here, it's the hope. It'd be like, imagine the young man as he stands at the front of the auditorium on wedding day. And he's waiting for that bride to come in. Uh, do you remember, husbands, what that day was like? Man, there's nothing greater, is there? All of a sudden, the piano starts to play, bum, 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 and now they use all kinds of other songs, but that's what it's supposed to be, and everybody stands to their feet, and the back door opens, and the bride steps in. Oh, I remember those moments. I remember that, you know, I really couldn't have cared about everybody standing. I really couldn't even cared if they were there. There was one person I cared about at that moment. That back door of the auditorium, straight down the middle in, in that building, opened, and Vanessa began to walk in, and my eyes uh, were just locked on her and her face, and, and watching her come down that aisle, oh, what a joyful thing. You know, the whole time, you're like thinking about your stepfather. Come on, come on, let's go. Walk a little faster. Come on, I've seen you move. Come on, let's go. I mean, you can play golf and get to the golf ball. Let's go. Move down the aisle. You know, let's get this thing done. It's exciting. It's thrilling. Can you imagine standing, watching as those doors open and the bride comes into view and she begins to move forward and the hair's all done perfectly and the makeup's been done by 72 different people that morning. And and here she comes down the aisle. The groom begins to notice, you know, it's kind of a funny smell in the room. But he's not really paying attention to that. I mean, after all, his eyes are locked on the face of his bride. As she comes a little closer, the smell grows a little stronger. And his gaze is pulled from the eyes of his bride to the formerly white dress of his bride that's all stained and mucked up and nasty and yucky. And Can you imagine what it would be as a groom to stand and watch your bride come and as she comes a little closer to maybe say, honey, what happened? He says, oh, you know, I had a, a neighbor out uh, on the farm that needed some help mucking the stalls and, and feeding the hogs this morning. And, you know, I thought by the time I get to church after that, I'm probably not going to have time to change. So I just went ahead and put on my wedding dress and went over and helped him with all that. And, and, and sure enough, I didn't have time. So we got the hair done, but that's really all we had time for. And so I figured you probably wouldn't care anyway. What do you say then? I don't know what you say. Hopefully I never need to figure that one out. And so here comes the, what would we think of a bride who showed up on wedding day completely unprepared in garments not set apart, not white and pure, but rather stained and filthy? You know what we would probably say? 
she really didn't put much of an emphasis on what we would think would be the most important day of her life. You know, this must not really be that big of a deal for her. Yet the reality is that many who are saved, truly saved, we do the same thing if we're not careful. If we're not motivated by living for the day that we see him face to face and the love of our Savior, we have a tendency to try to do the hair and and maybe put on the makeup. We try to fix up certain areas of life and and we think, you know, that's probably going to be good enough. And and then there's other areas we just kind of let them go. And we let the stench of sin remain in our lives. And we let the stain of the sin remain. And and we're going to show up one day and maybe there will be some elements that look really good and have been done well and that we've worked hard at. But then there's going to be some others we justified through life. And we're going to show up with the garments stained and filthy and dirty. And the day that was the most important, the one where we got to, as the bride, the church, come and see the groom, the one where we get to behold the one whom we love face to face. I don't know, but I wonder if he won't say, well, I guess this day wasn't really that important because they failed to prepare for today. I don't know that that'll be the thought, but I do know this. John writes to us as believers and says, hey, Christian, hey, the reality is the motivating factor of your life should be that one day you're going to see a perfectly pure, perfectly holy Savior who gave everything for you. Listen, you're not giving too much for him. Listen, it's not too much to ask to live a life of purity and holiness. It's not too much to get ready for our wedding day. And that's really what this life is. It's preparation for that day. And it's not too much because the motivating factor is not I have to. And it's not the duty. And it's not that uh, uh, if I don't, I'm going to give an account. No, no, no. The great motivating factor is the love for the Savior. I wonder, are you living a life this morning that is pure? Are you living a life of saying, you know, not how can I justify, but how can I purify? How can I live a life more completely sold out to the Savior, more and more like Him, and being, being trans, uh, translated and, and made into the very image of Christ? That's the goal. So we understand that our job is simply to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Our job is simply to come in humble submission and to say, Lord, I can't do it. I can't make me what I'm supposed to be and what you want me to be. Lord, I'm going to come and I'm going to present my body, Romans 12, 1 and 2, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. But then, Lord, would you be the one, Romans 12, 2, would you be the one by the power of the Holy Spirit to do the transforming work? I can't transform my mind, but you can. Would you help it to be transformed so that I think like this book? So that every standard of my life, so that everything that I do, so that everything that I look upon, so that everything I think upon, so that everything I allow into my life comes and passes through the filter of the Word of God. Would you bring to mind the principles I need? Would you help me to think in that manner that my life might be pure, that I might be able to prepare for the day that I behold you face to face? That's the motivating path. It's the love for the Savior. And so I see here the motivation for purity. And then I see the mark of purity. This is not just the flipping over of a new leaf, but rather this is a wholesale change that changes every part of a man. 
His motivations change. Who he is in private when no one is around changes. What she thinks about in her innermost confines is different than ever before. This person, uh, there's nothing that is left unaffected by the Holy Spirit of God. Now John's going to go on and he's going to say in these next few verses that the reality is if there's never been any change, then there's probably never been any conversion. There's not true salvation. But the reality is, and we've all probably seen this, there can be change, there can be true salvation, and then living in carnality. We can choose to say, I I learned and I grew and I was here, and now I've come back down to here. And we know that because of Lot. Lot was saved, but he vexed his righteous soul every single day in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know we live in a land not too far different from Sodom and Gomorrah. And if we're not careful and if we get focused on the things of this world and the things of this life, we can vex our righteous soul every day. Before long, like it would appear with Lot, we can get to the place where we get so comfortable with it, it no longer seems like a big deal. So we've got to come and say, Lord, is there any area where I've allowed that? Is there any area where I've stopped sensing the leading and the pricking of the Holy Spirit of God? Is there any area where I've pushed you to the side that I am not living a life filled with purity, a life of holiness, a life that is pleasing to you? Is there anything that needs to change about what I'm doing before I get to wedding day, before I behold you as you are? Is there anything you would want to change about me? It's not just I'm putting, flipping over a new leaf. I'm not changing what people see. I'm changing what God knows needs to change in my life and in my heart. And the motivating factor is always and must be the love and the anticipation, the hope of seeing him one day. We see here the mark of purity. Every believer does not manifest this throughout the rest of their lives. In fact, probably none of us in perfection. But everyone who lives with this hope in them is marked by a growing and consistently growing maturity in the area of purity. Why? Because I don't know how long I've got. It goes right back to our Sunday school lesson this morning, if you were in here. I don't know how long I've got. My soul could be required tonight. And if so, if my soul is required, and if I stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, it's not only that I want to be able to give an account with joy. I want him to be pleased with me. And I want him to be pleased that I have lived a life motivated to purity, not in perfection. We can't get there in this life. We understand that. But motivated and growing in purity because one day I'll see him as he is. These are some powerful verses. They really give us the the key to living the Christian life, the Christian life that is filled with the power of God. Because we can't have the power of God if we're not living in a manner that is pure before him. But we can't live in a manner pure before him just because we want his power or out of duty. It's got to be a sense of love because this hope dwells in us. Let me ask you, does that hope dwell in you this morning? Are, Are you constantly living in light of the fact that very soon you could be standing before the king? Are you living in light of the fact he could come tonight? It could be tonight that our soul is required that we go in the rapture and we get to see him as he is. Hey, everything's happened that needs to happen uh, for the second coming. So wherever that is, all the signs of the second coming, we're seven years closer, there's the rapture. So we're real close 
or at least we could be. Are you ready if it's tonight? And if not, this morning, wouldn't you make a decision and say, Lord, I want to be ready. Uh, we thank God also in the book of 1 John, it tells us when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe to this morning, you just need to come and say, Lord, I haven't been living this way. Lord, I've allowed some things to be justified in my life. I've allowed some things in I know you wouldn't be pleased with. Would you forgive me for those areas? Would you wash it clean? And praise God, he promises that he will. Amen? So won't you respond to him this morning? Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to serve you today. And Lord, we thank you for your word and the promises even of forgiveness. I pray now that you would speak to hearts. I pray that you'd help us to make the decisions that need to be made. And in Jesus' name I pray. Heads are back.